Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back again with you guys for another episode of our Arsenal Agenda series. Joining you at 10am every weekday morning. Very happy to be joined by Bailey. How you doing, mate? You good? Yeah, I'm good, TC. How's everyone in the comment section? Up, you're all good too. Your hair's looking very bouffant this morning. It's, it is, uh... it is. <laughs> <laughs> stuff. Chris, how are we doing, my friend? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you, TC. Good morning to you. Good morning, Bailey. Hope everyone's keeping well. Absolutely. Absolutely indeed. That's why I wear a hat, you know, keeps it down. Keeps it down. Uh, lovely stuff. Uh, good morning to everybody in the chat box. Hope we're doing good and well. Thank you for joining us. I can see Mark and Lynn in the chat box as well. We've got Marcus and, and Gunny Guna too. Thank you for joining us. I'm sure plenty more of you will be along shortly on Facebook twitter and youtube drop a like on the video if you're enjoying it and subscribe to the channel if you are indeed new around here with those notifications turned on so you never miss a show we kick off uh today's show talking about uh, an interesting topic surrounding granite jacker um who of course has been very good for us this season uh, when he's been available sure couple of mistakes couple of red cards as we know that he's certainly capable of but a lot of the focus around our transfers is going to be about that central midfield in addition to the striker debate and the discussion around who we should sign at striker. But central midfield, Bailey, continues to be an area that fans want to see us improve in and strengthen in. But the problem that Arsenal have is trying to find someone that does upgrade on what we have because both Xhaka and Partey have been so good for us. Who do you sign? And, and what's the problem surrounding this debate as well? Yeah, it is a big problem. I think with the players we've been linked with, calling them an upgrade on Shaka, I don't think you can really call them an upgrade. Is Ruben Neves an upgrade? I don't think he is. Is Yuri Tillemans a massive upgrade? I don't really think he is. Maybe age-wise, yes. But mm. Shaka is a very good midfielder, let's not forget. And if we, if you want to replace Shaka, it's going to cost a lot a lot of money to, to get a really top-class midfielder in, for example. Uh, I know I've done a piece recently on Frankie de Jong, admitting uh, his Arsenal admiration. For example, that would be an upgrade on Shaka, but then he would cost upwards of around 50 million. So mm. it wouldn't be cheap at all. And if we're playing the the four the four three three system with uh three midfielders and number eight, then it might, might be easier. I've already said that I know he's injury prone and now I'm kind of against it. But Renato Sanchez would have been a player for example if he was an injury prone, that would have been a type of upgrade on Shaka because of his mobility. But if you're going to play in this pivot system with uh, El doing right now, El Nenny and Shaka, for example, and then Party and Shaka, there isn't too many upgrades on, on Granny, unfortunately. So I think at the moment, I'd like to keep Shaka because the midfielders we've been linked with don't excite me. It does, They don't excite me like the strikers are doing at the moment. So, of course, you need a midfielder, but maybe bring someone alongside him and then let him compete. Because I don't think... I think signing an upgrade of Shaq and Roman is very tough. If we want to do that, it's going to cost a lot of money when we're trying to focus that on a striker, it seems, at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really interesting conversation because, you know, Xhaka is... He can be vilified sometimes and has certainly been vilified at Arsenal. And, you know, a lot of people would turn around and say that since the incident against Crystal Palace, that they, you know, the liking of him is is unacceptable and they just can't accept a player behaving like that. And I respect that viewpoint. He shouldn't have behaved that way. He shouldn't have done what he did. Uh, in my opinion, that's kind of we've moved on from that. You know, he's he's moved on from that. The interview he did with the Players Tribune the other day, I think, talked a lot about that. Sure, it was an opportunity to. I don't think that I understand why he didn't necessarily apologise, and he never seemed to want to apologise for it. I mean, when you're being abused and your family's being targeted, your unborn child's being targeted. 
I can understand, you know, why you wouldn't necessarily feel the compelled to apologize for your actions when you're being abused um, every week. But I think that we have moved on from that incident. I think that he's moved on in the sense that you see him playing, giving it absolutely 100% every week. He trains like he wants to be here, Chris. He trains like a player that wants to be in the team and achieving something special with the club, as he talked about in that interview. So how do you approach a midfield signing when you've got a player like Granite Xhaka starting for you at the moment? Well, I think we earlier on in the season we were we were sitting here, or at least I was, you know, pretty confident we, that we could go out in the summer and, and get an upgrade on on Granite Xhaka based on form, um, and and the sort of the role he was playing in the team. But you know, I've got to, you know, even though I'm not have not been his biggest fan over the last few seasons, um, I take my hat off to him because I mean, obviously, as you you two have just sort of touched on there, the the experiences that he had to go through um, and the relationship that he's had with the fans, it's not been easy. Um, and it's, it's been, it's been um, pretty, pretty nasty at times. Mm. Um, we, you, you mentioned that, that incident on obviously when he, when he walked off and, and sort of um, had that interaction with the fans under Unai Emery, you thought it was probably, probably the, the lowest point for him at the club. And you, you wondered where, you know, what was going to happen from there. Um, but yeah, I think he's been one of our most important players this season. And I've often associated inconsistencies to his game. And you mentioned also a minute ago, TC, where he's, you know, does silly things and he gets sent off and he loses his head sometimes. Um, but he, he looks to have obviously since those, those red card incidents early in the season, obviously that one against Manchester City at the Etihad, he, he seems to have, I don't know. It changed in some way. I don't know what's happened, but he seemed more consistent. He's, um, he's kept his head um, more often than not. And, you know, he's kept it down and, and played some really, really good football and, and play, played a, a really important part of our, our season in the process. And and um, now, all of a sudden, you know, with the consistency that he's found and the performances that he's putting in, the contributions he's making on the pitch, mm. um yeah, it's it's all of a sudden made that that decision and the the, the identification of of that new sort of central midfield signing in the summer a lot more difficult. So uh, I I don't know if maybe the, the upgrade route is the way Arteta is going to go now. Um, as you said, then he seems as if he's he's you know he's he's playing a really important part in the team. He's he's fighting for this team. He's given one hundred and ten percent. He's he wants to be playing a part under Mikel Arteta and, and he's enjoying it. We're seeing the benefits of that. Um, so maybe, I don't know, the club will look to get someone in who, who's got a different style or, or something like that, or plays a little bit different, has got different qualities to Granit Xhaka and perhaps Thomas Partey. I mean, just off the top of my head, as an example, someone like Fabian Ruiz at Napoli, we know he's more sort of technically gifted on the ball, a bit more of a dribbler. Um, and uh, yeah, he's got different qualities to sort of Granit Xhaka. Um, maybe, you know, he, he's someone who could come in and, and, and sort of, I don't know, be a rotational option or, or someone who just adds some, a little, something a little bit different in, in the centre of midfield um, and, and can adjust to, to maybe um, the different formations, as Bailey touched on there. Maybe if it's a 4-3-3, we've got another a man in, in the, in the centre of midfield with, with Thomas Partey playing a bit more of a defensive role than someone like Fabian Ruiz would come in, play alongside Xhaka in a more advanced role, sort of be that deep, deep line playmaker. So, yeah, I, 
I think there's no doubt we still need to bring an essential midfielder in because I still think we're, we're, we're currently short, especially, you know, with, with European football likely, you know, being back next season. Obviously, the, the Premier League are introducing that, the, the five substitutions. So, with this added, added need for strength and depth. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with El Nani either. Um, Sammy Lecongre is obviously still very young and he's he's developing, but he's still not ready to be sort of an out-and-out starter every every single week. So, there's... There's definite need there for another midfielder, but um, whether or not you're going to get that, you know, that that straight upgrade from from Granite Jacker now based on current form, um, it's it's looking difficult. So I reckon the club could go out there and just maybe go for someone with a different with a different play style. Yeah, I think so. I think you raise a good point, especially about like the type of midfielder, because I see a lot in the chat box people talking about, say, Lucas Paqueta, who is not the player that Xhaka is. He's not the player that plays that position. Sure, you could change the way in which you want to use that left central midfield slot to be more so like Erdegaard, but would you then lose out on the benefits of having a player like Xhaka in there? Or would you be able to trust, say, an Elneny if you extended him for a year or a Lekonga to come in and, and take that spot and be able to cover that position? I'm not I'm not so sure. Do you think, Bailey, that Xhaka would welcome competition or do you think he would struggle with the idea of being a rotational player? I don't think he would be a rotational player regardless. I think his mentality, he's got a very good mentality about him. And I think he's a type of player that thrives off, off the challenge when he's when his back's against the wall. That's when he does that's when he does his best. And that's been proven when it looked like his Arsenal career was over. He suddenly works hard to get back to the position he was before almost. So I think he'd thrive with the competition. I think he needs it as well. And I think it's good for for all it benefits all parties to always have good competition. I don't think you can be a, a top class professional if you're not willing to welcome competition or, or, or challenge to your challenge to your to your throne almost. So I think you'd welcome it. I'm on mute. Classic mistake. <laughs> um I think yeah, I think he would welcome the idea of Arsenal having a better squad. Where do you think this comes from, Christo? Because I know a lot of fans feel that you know he's not gonna be happy to sit on the bench, but who which who who is happy, you know, other than Mohammed on any of course, to sit on the bench? Because players just don't tend to be that way. And that's not a reason why you don't then bring someone in. Well, I mean, I mentioned it the other day when we were speaking about Mohamed Elneny, actually, in the, the contract situation, obviously, he came up with those quotes and said, look, if Arsenal want me, then I'll, I'll stay, you know, um, sort of no matter what role I have kind of thing. And it's a it's a rarity these days, isn't it, in football to have a player that, um, that's running out of contract and is, is, well, I think he's heading into his, his 30s now. Um, or will be. Um, it's it's rare for them to come out and say, "Look, uh, I know I'm not playing much, but you know, if the, if the team needs me, then I'm here. I'm more than happy to stay. I love this club." And um, I think that's actually a a luxury that that Arteta could take advantage of this season because it would enable us to maybe bring someone in or someone else in in that central midfield position. Um, while keeping Mohamed El Nani actually happy with the role he has. Um, so. No one, I don't. Obviously, there's players out there, maybe who already who have a rotational option at their current club, and and would see, you know, despite them maybe keeping the same role, a move to Arsenal was still a big step in their career for them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a similar situation with with Saliba at centre back, and if he comes back and returns to the squad. Um, you know, you've got to try and keep him happy on top of playing Ben White and and, and Gabriel. Um, you know, I, I worry about Gabriel Martinelli, for example, and Emil Smith Rowe sometimes because there's this talk about bringing a new striker in, maybe a new winger like Cody Gakpo. 
it, all of a sudden you've got to keep them them guys happy as well because you're adding more strength and depth to those positions and in, in areas they already play. Martin Odegaard, we know, is the regular starter in that attacking midfield role. So, um, you know, it, it, it's it's something Arteta's got to think about for whoever he brings in the, this summer. You would assume, obviously, the new striker ha- has the, the safest role because we're not going to have anyone left, it looks like, come the end of the season. So, um, you would imagine, obviously, that that new main man up top is, is going to, you know, be the regular starter for us. He's going to have a um, a crucial role to play in this Arsenal team. But in other areas of the squad, um, you know, I think Arteta is going to have to really, you know, reiterate the fact that we've, we've got a lot of competition already in certain areas, such as central midfield. We've got Party, we've got, we've got Xhaka. Um, if we bring in a new wide player, we've we've got Saka, Martinelli, Smith Rowe, um, Pepe obviously still here, but he could move on. So uh, it's a it's a nice problem to have because fortunately we've got a lot of quality in certain areas, especially especially out wide going forward. Um, but yeah, I mean it's um it's going to be difficult maybe trying to you know say to a player and, and find a, the right player that actually is going to be satisfied with the role they're going to play. But um, I'm sure it won't affect things too much. Arsenal have already identified their targets by the sound of things, especially with what Eddie said prior to the Manchester United game. So, yeah, um, maybe they're, they're kind of confident going into the summer window that these players can make a difference and will be happy with the role they're offering them. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see with the type of profiles we go for anyway. <laughs> Let's jump into the chat and see what you guys are saying regarding this debate. Afsar says, let's be honest, if we're in the Champions League, we will need to sign a minimum of six players. And can you honestly see us signing all the required players? I mean, I'd, I'd still be surprised if we did. But based upon what we did last summer, you know, who knows what we're capable of, of spending and, and going out and getting. Andrew says, should have got Gimard Aish. I'd go back in for him already. I mean, yes. A regretful experience that was. Terry says, I really like Fabian as well. Sylvanas says, uh, AFC Monaco player Aurelien Tuchemeni is the answer to our midfield. The lad is now an established international with the France team and good for the future. I think we would struggle to get him. I think, you know, he's going to be off to the likes of Chelsea or Real Madrid, who are both very interested in him. Vinny says, I'd rather have Neves than Fabian. He's better defensively, a leader and Prem proven. We need quality and depth. There is a, a big drop from Neves to El Neni. It's very, very true. Um, Terry says, Cater is too injury prone when uh, Comdean says, would you take Naby Cater from Liverpool? Bailey loves him. Absolutely loves him. So injury prone. Uh, Chris, though, agrees with Bailey. Competition is good for Xhaka. Uh, Andrew says, I bring, I'd send Sambi on loan if we bring in two upgrades. Maybe a loan would be helpful for Sambi Lukonga. Um, our next topic uh, revolves around tonight's European fixtures because the Europa League and Europa Conference League does impact on Arsenal somewhat, despite the fact that we're not in the competition. Uh, Arsenal, of course, play West Ham, Bailey, on Sunday. West Ham are in action tonight at the London Stadium against Frankfurt. They rested players for their game against Chelsea and still did very, very well to nearly get a draw in that game. I am expecting to see the likes of Dawson come in, of course, because he's suspended for the game at the weekend. But they are very light at the back. What do you think we're going to be able to glean from this game tonight about what we could expect on Sunday? Not too much, you know, because I think West Ham, this is probably is not probably is the biggest game in their in their in the recent history. So they're going to be up for it. The fans are going to be booming. It's going to the 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 atmosphere is going to be crazy as well. So when it comes to the Premier League game on Sunday, it might feel a bit melatonin and a bit different. So 
in terms of what we can take from this game, it's just that we just got to watch to see if there's any injuries or, or, for example, that comes for Sunday. Because I reckon if the game's still alive for the second leg, West Ham are, are more than likely going to rest a lot of players for that game, just like they did against Chelsea. So we shall see how that goes in that situation. But again, you don't know if West Ham, for example, if they wipe the floor of Frankfurt or Frankfurt do the opposite, then maybe Moyes might say, OK, no, we need the boys on good form. So Sunday will play a strong team and then we'll get ready for Thursday. So it could be that case, but you just never know really how, how Moyes is thinking. They're three games away, Bailey, from the Champions League qualification. West Ham United. I know West Ham are not a small team by any means. They're a massive team. But that is some achievement. Um, And I think there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn between West Ham and Arsenal in regards to their recruitment. You know, who would have turned their noses up at, you know, Sofow and Bowen and Solchek and, you know, these players that have come in. And when we're discussing players sometimes from a transfer perspective, there's so much um, resistance to certain names because maybe they're not as well known. Maybe they're just not as thought of as well. I mean, I've been reductive about certain players in yeah. the past that have turned around and, you know, proved me wrong. What does it tell us seeing West Ham in a position where they could qualify for the Champions League through winning a competition that we failed to win on the last three or four occasions? Yeah, it does hurt. It does hurt being another London club to win a European competition mm. in, uh, before Arsenal. It does hurt. But again, it is a worrying because you already have Newcastle who are on their way out. I think Newcastle will worry me a lot as well. And if mm. West Ham do win the Europa League, they're going to the Champions League. That means more revenue, more money, better player, better attractive destination for players to go for, top players to go in. It's another club Arsenal have to worry about. But I think Arsenal are still a level ahead. And West Ham, is, yeah, it's three games away from the Champions League, but that is three big games that they that they have to win. Leipzig, if they do get to the final, I'm guessing they will play Leipzig, who are very good. And who have Leipzig got? Tonight. They've got Rangers. Rangers. Leipzig are not a not right. Yeah, Leipzig are not an easy team to play against, of course, with uh, Christopher and Kanku and and Co. So, mm. yeah, it's a big task ahead of West Ham. But if they do go on to win it, then Arsenal do have to worry because it's another club who are who are almost stepping knocking on the door, just like Newcastle. Are. Absolutely, Chris. It's obviously another big game tonight. Is Feyenoord against Marseille, um, which means William Saliba will be up against Reese Nelson in tonight's games. Do you think that's two sides of a coin where one player is leaving and one player is staying and, and who fits which side of the coin? Um, well, I, I'd certainly uh, say that Saliba's Arsenal future is more secure than Nelson's, put it that way. Um, I, I just, I, I, I've, I've been impressed with Nelson over the last few weeks. Um, it seems as if he's improved a lot and he's starting to find his, his feet finally. Um, you know, I've always... I've always been a, a, a fan of Nelson. I think he's got a lot of talent and a lot of potential. Unfortunately, obviously, the door never really opened for him within the first team squad at Arsenal just because of the competition and the, the players that we had ahead of him. So it was always going to be very difficult for him to to, to push forward. Um, and alone is exactly what he needed. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's good to see him finally sort of making a difference and contributing in Holland after a rather slow start. Um, but then again, beyond this summer, it's really difficult, isn't it, to see where he'd, he'd fit in um, and whether or not he's, he's, he's sort of at the level required for Arsenal and Arteta to, to secure a first-team place. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'd be surprised if that is the case. Whereas William Saliba, I mean, he, <laughs> there's a reason why Arsenal fans are so desperate to see him um, fight for a place in, in the Arsenal squad next season. He, he, he's... He's just getting better and better, isn't he? You know, mm. despite him going out on loan every single season at different clubs, 
Um, he just seems to, to become stronger each week and, and continue his, his, his growth and development as a player. And, um, yeah, I, I guess because he's still very young, you know, he's only going to get better. Um, and, yeah, well, I've been really, really impressed with him this season. Statistically, uh, it, it, brilliant. I mean, the difference he's, he's making to that Marseille back line as well is, is very clear. Um, you know, you can tell he's he's still you know, going through that development phase and he's still young because there's been one or two sort of performances where the levels are dipped and he's made a, a few errors. That's that's normal. That's That can be expected at, at his age and, and what he's going through as a player right now. But, um, you know, again, that just highlights that I think and reiterates the reason why he was sent out on loan. Perhaps he wasn't quite ready to be, you know, a regular in, in the Premier League. Um, and we've, you know, although I, I get the frustration because... You know, we, we know the, the potential that we're talking about here and the, and the quality of player that Saliba can become. We obviously want to see him contributing and playing a part for Arsenal sooner rather than later. So I, I get the frustration and the the uh, the anxious, anxious weight behind it. But, um, you know, I think there's been a few times this season which, which sort of backs Arteta's decision to loan him. I think he'll become better because of it. Um, and... Well, he'll be in, in sort of the strongest position he's been in yet since he joined Arsenal to you know play a part for us next season when he when he returns in the summer. So um, yeah, obviously it'll be a game where a lot of Arsenal fans probably tune in and keep an eye on both players, in particular William Saliba, because as I say, I think the chances are in his favour um, to play a part for Arsenal next season. And um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how both players do. I think um, obviously Marseille have. Marseille have got a lot of um, a lot of quality. Um, obviously, Fire Order got some decent attacking players in there. So um, yeah, it could be quite a good game. And um, yeah, um, obviously, I, I'm sure Saliba will no doubt um, probably have the stronger game of the two players, just based on obviously confidence and form and and where he's at in his, with his development. So um, yeah, it'll be it'll be a good game to watch. I'm sure. Absolutely, yeah. Unfortunately, they are both on at the same time. Uh, eight PM tonight, kickoffs of both games. But I'm sure you'll be able to watch them across both screens uh, on BT. Of course, I think it is here in the UK. So make sure that you are across them and giving them a watch tonight because they both have their impact on Arsenal both this weekend and into the future as well. Uh, Leicester City, of course, play uh, tonight against Roma before playing Spurs uh, on, on. I want to say Monday. I think it might be a Monday or a Sunday night kickoff as well. So uh, we'll be interested in how they get on and seeing if their team is affected, their form's affected going into that Spurs game. Hopefully they can do us a massive favour. Although, that being said, the Liverpool do play Spurs the following week. Uh, what a week of Champions League football we've had, though, this week. Very interesting. It's been uh, very... I mean, were either of you surprised to see the criticism for Villarreal? Because it really blew up last night on some of the feeds. I mean, I think I saw on TalkSport, Jason Cundy was talking about it being very... Um, scathing of, of the way VRL played. I don't think it surprised me at all the way that they played. It's the way that they are. And if they're still in the yeah. tie, even though they're two goals down, I mean, to go to Anfield, you know, and, and and absorb that much pressure and only concede twice, you know, and keep yourself in the tie when you know at home in VRL, they're very good. So do either of you expect VRL to come back or do you think that Liverpool are through? It's done. It's done. What what surprised me is though, is that over three games, Emery at Arsenal conceded 13 goals at Anfield. Whereas now it seems, yeah, it almost looked like he's going to keep a clean sheet. The first mm. half, I was like, oh, okay, Villarreal might just do something here. And then, of course, they just why is that? It. Why has it been so different? I don't know. I know some people have touched on. I don't know. I don't want to say it could be the language barrier where you know, Emery can better communicate to his players. He can, yeah. he can, of course, uh, say what he wants to get out of his players. But 
I think he's just Villarreal. Where they're more of a smaller club, Arsenal are expected for, to attack teams and to and to be on the front foot. Whereas Villarreal know they're a more smaller club and they can they can respect the the hard graft more or the suffering, should you say more. I am. I, um, I think I overheard Aaron Hargreaves on the commentary last night during the game, and he was. Um, I think he was asked about the sort of the difference of, of Unai Emery's Arsenal and, and Unai Emery's Villarreal now, and. I think he said something on the lines of that he's, you know, he's got a, I can't remember it word for word exactly, but um, you know, he said how he's he's sort of built this squad and he's got he's got players that he can rely, you know, rather than Premier League outcasts. And I thought, well, well you know, that's quite a strong statement. Um, but I, that that is the thing. I think Unai Emery has, you know, a very specific way of his team setting up and the way that they play. I mean, look. It, watching them last night it was pretty dire, you know, and, and Liverpool could have won by it far more. Um, but in terms, you know, there's a, a the difference and, and, and the gap in qualities is huge between the two sides. Um, and you know, I think Unai Emery was always going to go there and, and put a, you know put up a defensive side, and uh, you know it was just going to be a case of them defending for their lives, maybe catching out Liverpool on the counter whenever possible. But obviously, they never had much luck with that. Mm. Um, so I think 2-0 at Anfield on the night actually is 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 not bad and obviously they go into the home leg now with maybe a slight slight advantage you've got the, the, the fans behind them that I think they'll maybe approach it differently um, I think Liverpool will go through but yeah I mean you know that Owen Hargreaves quote last night I mean you know Unai Emery has you know reliable options there now at Villarreal players that he can trust players that know he he knows that can fit his style of play um, and he, he sort of said, yeah, you know, that's the difference rather than him having Premier League outcasts at Arsenal. So, I mean, looking back, it's kind of hard to disagree with that, isn't it, really? Yeah, I think when it comes down to the Emery debate, as Bailey picked up on, though, look, Emery was out of his comfort zone, out of his natural environment at Arsenal. It was very, very different contextually. What he's done with Villarreal, he's in the, one of the perfect scenarios. You know, at a Spanish club, we know what he's capable of. At Valencia, at Sevilla, and now Villarreal, he's had success, and he knows how to, to do that. At PSG, he had his struggles, you know, was one of the only... PSG sides to in recent years besides Pochettino last season with against Lille to to lose out in the Liga title race. Um, so, and Arsenal had his own struggles as well, despite only finishing one point off the top four in his first season. You know, we could have got in the top four and we could have won the Europa League, but there was errors that ultimately cost us there. I think Villarreal is in the perfect place where he can get his ideas across exactly how he wants and play exactly how he knows that side can, you know. And plus, Villarreal are a bad side. <laughs> I mean, they're not exactly a bad team by any stretch of the imagination. Not the best domestically, but cup competition-wise, you know, they they just have something about them, especially Emery at the, the helm as well. Um, let's, uh, let's wrap things up there. Bailey, thank you so much, mate, for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, TC. Thank you, CD, and everyone in the comment section too. Absolutely. Chris, always a pleasure, my friends. Cheers, TC. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Bailey. And um, thanks to everyone tuning in, getting involved in the comments. I hope everyone has a great day. Thank you, chat box. Uh, as Chris says, hope you have a fantastic day. And uh, we'll be back a little bit later on this afternoon. We're having a Tactical Insight show based around Tammy Abraham. You can also go watch back Bailey's Tactical Insight show on Gabriel Jesus from yesterday. Um, or oh, day before yesterday or yesterday? Day before. Day before. We've got one day with um, Cody Gakpo. Oh, nice. Good stuff. Good stuff. So you've got Gakpo, you've got Jesus and coming up, you've got Tammy uh, to get your teeth sunk into. So make sure you subscribe, make sure you're across all those videos and we'll see you again very, very soon. And as always, keep following us down the Arsenal way. Oh,